Before we get into today's episode, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know by now, we're here to tell you that hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL season has started back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus, From the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and Monday and Wednesday also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. The ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Welcome to another edition of In the Crease. Yes, so glad you're listening. Emily Kaplan and me, Linda Cohn. And Emily, it's crazy. We know when we look at the standings and what, how many games we have left now in this season? What, 35 games, 34? It really depends how many teams missed a certain amount of games due to COVID because it's they're all over the map, you know, like, but when you look at each conference, right, and I'm going to start with the West. And I say to you, Emily, I go, well, who are the powerhouse teams right now? Like right now, is there more than one? And honestly, I just see the avalanche right now, everything going right for Colorado and Vegas is a work in progress. They're missing their key players. Eventually, they're going to get Jack Eichel. We don't know how quick he's going to, you know, feel at home in Las Vegas. But and then you look at the East. Wow. A lot of powerhouses. Right. I mean, with Florida, Tampa, uh, Carolina, Carolina, the New York Rangers, the New York Rangers and Pittsburgh and Boston, Washington. (laughs) <laughs> a Washington too. And Alex Ovechkin, oh, by the way, leading the league in goals scored with 27. He's on pace right now to score about 55 goals at the age of 36. He's getting closer and closer to making those who do not believe he can catch Wayne Gretzky believers on the pace that he has. And you know what? I just want to bring up Alex Ovechkin. I, you know, last night when I was in the studio doing cut-ins during our Flyers Islanders game on ESPN plus, I was watching as well all the games. I was watching the Capitals play Winnipeg. It was a home game. And I saw Alex Ovechkin break in all alone. And he was slashed. And he didn't get the call. And it's interesting. We're going to talk about stuff like this, Emily, with our guest, Taylor Hall, who will be coming on. But protecting your star players. He did not get the call, Emily. He was angry. Here's a 36-year-old veteran. Stanley Cup winner, first ballot Hall of Famer, chasing Gretzky, still is so passionate and cares about winning. He didn't get the call. He was angry. He was looking at the iPad on the bench. He was having a few words to the officials. A couple of minutes later, what does he do? Gets back on the ice, next shift, scores a goal. They end up coming back and winning this game and beating Winnipeg. That, to me, encapsulated what Alex Ovechkin is all about. He's still got that hunger and passion. It's true. It's why when we ask which teams in the East are still contending, you have Washington, you have to include. And it's funny, just to go off your point off the top, um, I have the Kings Avalanche game on Thursday on ESPN. So I'm here in LA, so excited for it. 
And um, I talked to Rob Blake, the GM of the Kings, uh, before the game, just to get a sense of where his team is at. And I asked, I was like, what teams do you think are, you know, going to be sleepers at the trade deadline? Who should be reactive? And, you know, he gave me a little bit of information. But what he really said was, you know, in the East, I think things are clarified. And I think people are starting to see who's real. And in the West, like, it really feels like anyone's game. And that's why a team like the Kings, who has been on this bit of a resurgent run, have a really good shot at the playoffs. And I wouldn't be shocked if you see them add something little at the trade deadline. Maybe it's just to compensate for one of their injured players. Like we'll see where Edler's at. Um, they've had a couple guys who have been out long-term. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how everything shapes out. And I do think because there's so many teams in the mix in the West, um, maybe their teams are going to be a little more hesitant saying, oh, like, I don't know. And then maybe teams like the Kings are like, well, let's just go for it because we have as good a chance as anyone right now. Another absurd situation and a star situation. I want to talk about the Lightning Kings game on Tuesday night. We're almost, I think, at the end, and I feel like we're really ending the tale here of COVID disruption to the season. The NHL is going to stop testing. I know, asymptomatic players. We know that once players get COVID, they don't have to test for 90 days. Um, the league says that 73% of its players have had COVID this season, which is just a wild or tested positive this season, a wild, wild number. Anywho, all of this manifests in the Lightning game because they're only able to dress four defensemen the entire game. For a refresher, six defensemen is typical. Sometimes teams go seven. Four is absurd. But when you have a guy like Victor Hedman, it's not so absurd after all. Honestly, I feel like he got my Norris Trophy vote then and there. He was absolutely outrageous in that game. Yeah, you're not alone. A lot of talk about that performance. And, of course, and uh, the big win by Tampa. You know, they just walked in there and, you know, dusted the ice with the with the Kings and considering the adversity. But uh, that's what's amazing. Not only Victor Hedman. And he's going to have some competition because they're going to want to. You know, and we have plenty of time to get Kale into McCarr. that. Kale McCarr. And, you know, he's he, Roman Yossi is probably Roman Yossi goal. deserves it again. I don't know why he's not on the all star team, but that's for another time. Roman Yossi should be there. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's amazing. I was talking to some people today about the lightning and we're all talking about the Panthers. And I think I told we talked about this in the last episode. Yes, I am so impressed with the Panthers. They, they lost one Tuesday night against Calgary. Um, but. I'm so impressed with the, the powerhouse, the Panthers, the goals they put up. I get all that. But until you do this in the playoffs where the game is different, then I'll be a believer. Um, and Tampa's been there, done that, won a cup back to back. How do you not count them out thinking that they are, to me, the favorites in the East? Pittsburgh is playing at this moment great. Boston is playing very well, but Pittsburgh is playing at the top of its game right now. And if I can mention two teams, Colorado and Pittsburgh to me are playing, I think at this minute, when we speak on this podcast, they are playing at their best, but we have plenty of time to go. And don't forget, we talked about COVID, you know, team in the wet, going back out of the West where I don't think there's a lot of competition for Colorado, depending on what goes on with Vegas and their injuries. Calgary flames are right there. You know, they're, they're like with that well-coached Daryl Sutter. They have a lot of games to make up. They have like they played like five fewer games, six fewer games than a lot of people. And then the question mark continues to be the Edmonton Oilers. Hey, I want to get your take on that. Um, that quick got a lot of play in social media um, with uh, um, Leon Dreisaitl, uh at the podium, you know, uh, addressing a particular reporter who made it about him. Jim Matheson, a longtime reporter who covers the Oilers. Um, I was not impressed with his line of questioning 
uh, regarding, he used the word pissy. Why are you in such a pissy mood in a follow-up? He seemed like he had something personal with Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, You know, you've been at so many kind of these press conferences, even more so than me, uh, especially lately. This is what you do. Um, what did you think about that? I was not a fan of the reporter's line of questioning. I thought it was unfortunate. I'm, I'm with you. I think the tone of it just felt off and it felt like there was something lingering, like there was an issue that had boiled over and unfortunately had to play out in public. And that's what these Zoom press conferences have become, right? Almost a spectacle. They, they go and cut to it right after a broadcast of a game. You see it on Twitter afterwards. Um, and sometimes people do get a bit performative in them. Um, you know, what I think we were seeing is a manifestation of a couple different things. One, the frustration of the Oilers, of course. Things just aren't going well. And grilling Leon Dreisaitl again and again about it isn't going to fix any of their issues. And I think it's grating on the players, you know, from a mental health perspective, just having to answer to this every day. But two, it's just in the nature of what we're in right now. We don't get to go into the locker rooms and have these face-to-face interactions with players. Um, You can have a lot of nuance. You can have a lot of conversations that, again, aren't for camera and aren't as performative. So when we're confined to this setting, um, I I just don't think it's good for humanizing the players, humanizing the reporters, getting those rich or actually meaningful conversations. And instead we got this, Um, but I'm with you. It, It did feel like the reporter... It just was a little out of line and made it a bit about himself versus Leon than actually getting the information that he wanted to get. But again, I just don't think these settings are conducive to getting information you want to get because they're just so transactional. Yeah, I frown upon that. And I'd hate to have all players, and I know they don't. I don't want them to paint all media, all reporters with the same brush. And again, I know they don't, but I I, I didn't like all the play it was getting. And I think this guy was just looking for attention. And I'm and that's disappointing. Okay. What is not disappointing is our next guest because we talked about the East being an arms race. And one of the teams that's always in it at the end of the year, no matter what stubbles they get into the beginning of the year, and that's the Boston Bruins. They've got a guy, Taylor Hall, who has fit in so seamlessly with that roster. So we decided to call up Taylor Hall and talk to him. And now joining us, we're so excited about this guest. He is a winger for the Boston Bruins, and it is Taylor Hall. And Taylor, I'm just going to come at you with a good, deep, hard hockey question because I'm very curious your take. I always love talking hockey with you. Um, this year, I feel like we've just seen an explosion of offense. Like there are nights where I turn on and I'm like, how does this team have five, six, seven goals? Are you seeing it too? And what would you attribute it to? Um, yeah, I think, I think you're seeing that. I think you power play percentages are way up um, compared to years past. Um, I think there's just an emphasis uh, on on five on five offense and a way to drive offense. Um, you don't see the, you know, the six foot five D men, you know, three of them on a, on a decor anymore. You see a lot of five eleven guys that can move the puck, and it's just the way the the game is going. It's fast. I, I, it gets faster every year, and and it's no surprise there's more goals this year. Taylor, let's talk about the Bruins. You know, I talk to a lot of people and when we kind of evaluate and rate at this point of the season, uh, the toughest teams in the Eastern Conference, here we are. Suddenly the Bruins are rising up and it seems like you guys really are getting that chemistry together after due to COVID and different things. Uh, You didn't play as many games. Talk to me about how the season has gone on and it really does look like as a spectator here that as a team, it looks like you guys are finding your groove. I think we are. Um, the COVID break came at a pretty nice time for us. Um, 
we were playing okay, but we, we just didn't have the foundation of our game set. Um, that can happen throughout the year where you, you don't have practice time and you get into a little bit of a rut. So we were able to come out of that with, you know, four or five practices and, and got our game right. I think our coach is very good at that. Um, you know, seeing a weakness or, or seeing a spot in our game that, that needs work. And, you know, when we go out and do those things and, and, uh, and play the way that he wants us to play, we're, we're a pretty strong team. So I also think that we have a lot of new players on our team this year, which is not normal for the Boston Bruins. You know, usually it's year after year, the same guys, you know, top six positions at forward, you know, the same top four D-man. And this year you're seeing a little bit of a change. So sometimes that takes getting used to with guys and, um, you know, tinkering with the lines, things like that. Um, you know, I think it's been really good for us. We're having a lot of fun. Another thing we've seen this year in the NHL is just this introduction of these young, maybe brash, uh, creative stars that um, they want to do things differently. And they're very creative with the way they stick handle the puck. They do things in warmups that are different. But now we're starting to see them try some creative moves in games. And of course, I'm talking about like the Trevor Zegers types. What do you think when you see that? And do you think that's good for the game? Well, I think at the end of the day, this this game is about getting the puck in the net and keeping it out of yours. And uh, however you can do that, you know, the best, um, all power to you. So it's great to see guys get creative. Um, you know, I don't know uh, if you need to be doing that stuff like the whole warm up, all six <laughs> or anything like that. But there, uh, there's a lot of young stars in our game and they're creative. You know, they're not the biggest guys, but they find a way to produce and, you know, Trevor Zegras, he can do as many moves as he wants, but the fact is he's, he's also putting up a lot of points and helping his team win hockey games. And, and at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. So I don't understand the criticism some of these guys face when they, you know, try and pull moves like that or do pull moves. It's, it's great for the game. And, and at the end of the day, they're trying to help their team win. You know, Taylor, once upon a time, you were one of those young guys. I mean, <laughs> Now you're an old guy. Not really. I'm just kidding with you, Taylor. But you are a veteran. Do you find yourself now um, uh, becoming a leader on your own team? You spoke about the younger players, the different players on the bees right now. Do you find yourself uh, fitting into that role now? Yeah, I do. I, I've, you know, as you get past, you know, 25, 26, you start to see like, you know, this is what I was like when I was 20 years old and you grow into a different person, right? So um, like I'm getting married this summer, uh, things like your life, your life changes where, you know, when you're 20 years old, you're, you're not really thinking about marriage and, and things like that. So, um, in saying that I, I don't feel 30, uh, I still feel like my, my second year was like a year ago. So, um, the kids come, come in now, they're so mature, um, in the weight room, they, they know how to conduct themselves, you know, for practice and stuff. They know how to prepare. Um, you know, I feel like the game, that's why you see rookies come in now and, and play right away and, and do the things that they do is the preparation that they put in there. They're, you know, they, they play in the OHL or NCAA or Europe or whatever, and they're taught from a young age how to, how to be a pro. So um, the young guys we have on the Bruins right now are great. I don't know if you call Charlie McAvoy a young guy, but <laughs> – He's, uh, he's, you know, what I think of when I think of, you know, a young um, star player who has his, has his crap together. He's a great kid and a lot of fun to be around. 
So Linda and I love hearing about what guys do off the ice and what's important to them. And I know recently you have a partnership with DKJ, which is all about raising awareness for Alzheimer's. So I would just love to know why this cause specifically is important to you. Yeah, so um, I've done charity work in my hometown in, in Kingston, Ontario for um, I think 10 years before the pandemic. And I think, you know, I did my part there and, and someone mentioned to me how athletes can uh, sometimes neglect the, the towns that they play in uh, with regards to charity work. So I wanted to, to try and partner up with someone and um, a, a cause that, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit close to. My, my grandfather had Alzheimer's when he passed away. It was mm. kind of tough to see him go through that. And I know I'm not alone in that, in, in saying that. So um, partnering with, with, uh, DKJ has, has been awesome so far. We haven't been able to do much so far with COVID, but hopefully over the next three years or, or four years, however long I'm here in Boston, we can make a difference, whether it's golf tournaments, whatever. Um, not only for the families that are dealing with Alzheimer's and, and the people, but also the caregivers that spend so much time with, you know, a disease that's not easy to be around. So, um, it's been good to get getting to know them. Hopefully we can, we can do some stuff as the spring rolls around. What about playing in Boston, in that city, those fans? Was it what you expected? Because you do feel comfortable in the city now, but tell me a little bit about that adjustment. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think playing in Boston never will ever get old. Um, it's a special fan base, and you really do feel that when you put on the jersey. Um, when you play in front of a fan base like like we have here, they're um, they're they're a great sports town in the in the sense that you know they're not like super super crazy, but they just expect you to work hard and play well and, and do your best. So, um, and then you just look at the history that the team has. Um, you know, last night we we put Willie O'Ree's number up in the rafters. Like to have you know a, a player and a, and a person like that play for your franchise that long ago speaks to how how long the Bruins have been around for um, the tradition that they have and, and how they treat their players and their ex-players so um, my my fiance loves it here the city of Boston's been great to us and um, really feel like ho like home you know just under a year in. Taylor you mentioned it the Bruins aren't used to having this many new players in a season like I feel like this team has just been the same team right I had a very strong identity for so long um, so I guess I'm just trying to get a vibe of like what the locker room is like. We're not allowed in anymore. So maybe you could take us inside the locker room where the team playing, like who's got the ox board, who's like the clicks. Does everyone hang out? What does it look like? I think we have a really close team. Um, there's going to be little clicks here and there. I think just based on age and, and things like that, but it's not like the Europeans hang out over here and, and the American college guys and then the Canadians, it's nothing like that. We have a really good team that way. And, um, you know, I think that comes from Patrice Bergeron. He's, he's an amazing leader. You know, I consider myself lucky to have played with someone like that in my career. Um, I've learned a lot from him already. Um, and he sets the tone and, and the way that he talks about it, he, he's just carrying tradition from, you know, Zidane Chara and Andrew Ferenc, and, you know, Chris Kelly, all these guys that have, you know, set the tone for what the Bruins are all about. And, um, I think Trent Frederick, he works the ox court on game days. I used to do that job in Jersey and it's a thankless job being the, uh, the DJ in the locker room. You can never please anyone. You um, get one song that someone doesn't like, and I'm sure you don't hear the end of it. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I, I had to give it to him. He's playing Green Day before the game the other day. And nice. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't exactly getting the boys fired up. No, it's oh. too mellow. Oh. It's too mellow. I was into <laughs> it. <laughs> um, no, it's and and I feel like the the younger players on our team, you know, have no problem stepping up and saying things. Like it's very inclusive. Where, um, you know, where where anyone can speak up and and uh, and say what they want, and and that's why it's been really nice for for someone like me to come in and play here. Taylor, as long as we're talking about personalities, everybody wants to know what Tuka is really like. You know, like it's just hard to get a read on this guy. Can you give us something we don't know about your goaltender, Tuka Rask? And I know you guys are happy he's back in the mix. Yeah, he's um, he's the most chill dude ever. So <laughs> I don't have much on him. He loves golf. Um, the guys have been saying that there's a, there's a wing place across the street from our, our practice rink that he goes and, and frequents a lot. He must love chicken wings, and, and I'm sure he, he plays well in Buffalo. Um trying to run those, those wings after the game. But uh, Tukes, I mean, he's, like I said, he's chill. Um, he's a competitor, obviously, but the way that he is in the net, you know, how composed he is, that's how he is off the ice. And um, he's not going to let anything phase him. You know, last night wasn't the best game for our team. And, you know, you can't tell a difference the way he, the way he conducts himself every day. It's just, you know, keep chugging along and, and uh, uh, a really good guy to have that way. So Taylor, I know, again, I, I said off the top, but you're like always one of my favorite guys to talk to. And I just feel like you've got great thoughts on the game. If you think of this year, there's been a lot of things going on, right? The Olympic issue, COVID protocols, um, you know, now guys are starting to get a little upset about the way the all-star game is chosen. Is there one cause this year, one thing in the league that you're really passionate about that you'd like to see fixed? Um, no, I mean, the COVID stuff's been a little, little frustrating. Um, you know, I had COVID and I didn't have any symptoms, just like you know, 95% of the players in the league and had to sit out 10 days. Um, you know, I don't want to get, you know, too into that, that, but you know, the league has a hard job too, um, dealing with that stuff. And, and the fact that we have a border to deal with in our league with seven teams across the border, it's not easy. Um, I don't know. I, I think, the cross checking at the start of the year was called for like two games and then, you know, we, then it stopped. We, we don't have any cross checking calls anymore. Um, <laughs> I know that the officials have a tough job to do and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I see games where McDavid plays and he doesn't get any penalties called against him. Like some of these, some of these guys, um, I, I feel like deserve a little bit of the quarterback treatment that the NFL gets where it's, you know, if, if we can do a better job project, pr protecting them and, and just being more consistent with the calls, um, it, it'd be better for the game. But I also know that the, the rest have a tough job. So that's my cause, Taylor. It is a really good spot, honestly. Um, it can always get better. And the way that the league's dealt with COVID, I, I don't have have a ton of issues with. But um, you know, the fact that we're going to finish our season, you know, the same time that was originally set for it's, it's not too bad. You hit on my cause though. I think that it's ridiculous that we don't protect our star players more in the NHL because I mean, we need to stop marketing markets and market players. That's how the league is going to grow. And if you have Connor McDavid in a playoff series, not drawing a single penalty, like what are we even doing? Yeah, it's that, that, that's hard to believe. And, and sometimes Sometimes the standard is, you know, 
well, we're, we're, I don't know. He's so fast that he's got to, you know, he's got to go around them where, I don't know. It's, it's hard. The rest have a tough job, but I agree with you. The, you know, the Boston Bruins are a huge team in this city, obviously, Um, you know, but the players, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, the, the, you know, the, the Patrick Mahomes, that's what draws me to watch the NFL every weekend. It's not really like, I'm not a Packers fan. I'm not a, no. I'm not a Chiefs fan. So that's, that's where the league's going. And, and um, I still think it's in a really good spot, but if we can protect them the best we can, I think that'll put us in a good spot moving forward. You know, Taylor, sadly, and we won't keep it too much longer, but sadly, uh, I'd hate to say it, but I would have to take it, uh, an injury. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you know, I, cause that's what that's, it's all so reactive. I mean, that's how the NFL came around and the NHL is always last. I mean, thank God they're not testing asymptomatic players when you talk about COVID. So they got last finally, you know, I'm like, finally, Emily wrote a great article on that. And then here with protecting the star players, it's just, uh, I hate to say it, but it might take something bad to happen first. Well, you, you hope not. Yeah. You know, but it's a physical game. It's always going to be like that. But, um, you know, the cross-checking, the, um, some of the trips into boards and things like that, like it, it, it can be really tough. And, and the way McDavid went down two years ago with his knee injury, like who knows if right. he'll come back from that the way he does. It's, I think that, and like I've said, you know, multiple times, it's, it's a hard job for the referees, but the cross-checking calls seem to have gone away. So, you know, just try and have some more consistency with that. And we're not even in the playoffs yet. I can see it going away in the playoffs. We have a whole half of the season to go. I know. I think I took like 40 cross-checks from Scott Mayfield last year in the playoffs. He he was pretty good at that. (laughs) All right. We got to end on a positive note. I don't know this. What is just, what's one really good thing that's happened to you this year? What's something that's just made you happy? Um, what's one really good thing that's happened this year? Well, you're getting married. How was the proposal? Yeah, no, it was, uh, <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about it from like a hockey. Oh, hockey. maybe Emily was. I was going to take it wherever you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I got engaged on, uh, in Nantucket. So that was in, oh, uh, that, was in June. So that was cool. Um, for us to go to Nantucket and experience kind of the Boston, uh, vacation spot. Yeah. And then we're, we're getting married on August 1st. Um, you know, I, I'd say just signing with the Bruins. It's been mm. the last couple of years for me. I've played on multiple teams and haven't really had a home. And I'm just starting to feel like uh, really, really settled in with the team, the city, everything. You know, little little things like I know exactly how long my drive to the rink is. And, you know, the guy that is out in the parking lot, what his name is and, and how long I need to get ready before games. Last year was a bit of a blur. This year, I feel like uh, I'm starting to come into my own and, and uh, to have a city like Boston to call home and, and a, a franchise like this to play for has been nice. That's great. Good stuff. Good, good way to end it. Thank you. Linda's always a positive person, so I just want to channel her. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate your time and yeah. we really love everything you're doing. You're so, I'm so glad that finding a home is important and you deserve that. Uh, you're so talented. We're, we're both thrilled for you. And uh, me growing up a Rangers fan, I now have, I stopped that. I'm now into the individuals, Taylor. So even though you wear that B, I'm rooting for you. Emily knows. <laughs> Thanks.
Nice to chat with you guys. Likewise, and best of luck with the DKJ Foundation. Thank you. Take care. I'm not surprised, Emily. First of all, Taylor Hall was great. We really appreciate his time, but he spoke about how comfortable he is finding a home that resonated in Boston, how much he loves the city, uh, not only playing before those Bruin fans and that incredible fan base, but the city of Boston and and what's it like. And it, it, you could see it. it was like, you know, we, we, we saw his face right when we talked to him that he was beaming, smiling from ear to ear regarding finding finally having a home a place he can call home i thought that was uh that was nice to hear yeah he's had an you know he's just had an interesting career so far it just players never want envision their career is going to go this way you get drafted by a franchise and you think okay this is it and i want to be a legend for them i want to win a stanley cup for them and it just didn't work out that way you know he started with the oilers goes to new jersey wins an mvp all the the league mvp and your GM gets fired, your coach gets fired, you get traded, Arizona picks you up, and you're like, okay, are they going to win? And they're not good. And then you go to Buffalo, and you're like, okay, is this going to work out for me? And for him, I just can only imagine just looking behind his rearview mirror, and he kind of said that as well, of like, where did time go? Like, how did I get to this point where I'm 30 years old, and I'm a veteran player on the Boston Bruins? Like, what? Um, but that said, he's still playing at a high level. And I think he really does appreciate that culture of the Bruins. And when I've talked to players in the Bruins before, like Charlie McAvoy, they, they talk about that, that it was set by, you know, like, like Taylor said, Andrew Ferris passed it on to Zdeno Char. Zdeno Char has such a big impact shaping that locker with the way people did things. And Patrice Bergeron picked it right up. And part of his inclusivity, when a young player comes in or maybe a new trade deadline acquisition like uh, Taylor Hall comes in, they're really welcoming to them. There's no clicks. There's nothing like that. It's all for the same goal. Um, and so I liked hearing him kind of articulate that because it affirms everything I heard. And it, it's nice for him that he got that environment finally. Definitely easy to root for. He definitely is. Okay, Linda. So I'm in LA and the secret of this podcast, we're going to reveal it now. We're in the same room. I know. You and I, I'm at your apartment in LA sitting across the room from you uh, recording this. It's so I, funny. I know. So you hear a little echo. You're not crazy. It's just us. Right. But uh, no, I'm here for the Kings Avalanche game, which I'm pumped for because before the season, you could have told me this was going to be a big game. And I've been like, yeah, maybe. But it's actually a big game because, you know, the Kings, they've had a little bit of a tough stretch. They're about to hit a tough schedule, but they're good right now. They're a playoff team as we sit today. And of course, the Avs are the Avs, the team that everyone has a bullseye on. So I'm curious to see how they do. I do believe that Quinton Byfield is going to play in this game. So I'm so excited to watch him. Um, you know, the Kings, the story of them is they still got these veteran core year after year. They're taking away all of their friends at the trade deadline, trying to rebuild, but they now have enough young players. They added a couple guys this off season and it seems like it's gelling in the way that they always envisioned it would, but maybe arrived a bit ahead of schedule. It's going to help. I mean, even if they end up losing to Colorado, you know, playing these tough teams, seeing how far they're at, uh, you spoke to Rob Blake, the GM, kind of determining, okay, we need this, we need this, we're not quite there yet. And this is what happens. This is how you evaluate. For me, I head to Seattle on uh, Monday for a Tuesday night game on ESPN Plus. Uh, Seattle playing host of the Nashville Predators, one of our surprise teams, of course. Um, they've uh, slipped and fallen a little bit, a couple of uh, losses um, when we're recording this, but uh, I think they're for real. I'm looking forward to talking with the captain, Roman Yossi. Uh, and watching UC Soros in action up close. Uh, the Kraken continue to struggle. Um, they didn't break their nine-game losing streak the other day. 
it still amazes me, Emily, that they haven't won more than they lost. Um, but you know, learn, you know, life lessons. Uh, so, oh, but I know that fan base uh, will be ready to go, and they're really doing well. Um, filling those fannies and putting climate pledge arena. So I'll be happy to get back there. So I'm looking forward to that between the benches. Love it. All right, Linda, this was a fun one. We only had one this week again, travel schedules you had, I can't believe we're ending on this, but you had a pretty historic game this week. And that's why we didn't record on Monday because you had to travel. You went to Arizona, you called the coyotes Montreal Canadiens game, which everyone wanted to talk about the race for the number one pick, yada, yada, yada. But all I cared about was the broadcast because it was you between the benches, Cassie Campbell-Pascal as the analyst, and Leah Hextall as a play-by-play. So casually, so naturally, it's just three women who happen to be available on the schedule because we have three women that can be on the schedule and all women's broadcast. You know what? It was great. I mean, it could have been, you could have been part of that. AJ Malesko could have been part of that. It just happened to be us three. Uh, I didn't think I spoke to SportsCenter after the game. I just... Looked at it as like, I know people looking at it as a milestone and it is a great thing. And I acknowledge that and I loved it. But it was just three women who love doing hockey, passionate about broadcasting hockey and sharing that passion with the viewer. And that's what w- went down. And uh, and oh, by the way, the Coyotes don't tell them that they're competing for, you know, the first overall pick. Those players, that coaching staff, they come to play. They are so competitive. I really love what I saw from Clayton Keller and the bunch. And I so enjoy covering Phil Kessel. Uh, the second game I've done with the Arizona Coyotes, I watch him on the bench, Emily. This won't surprise you. He continues to have conversation. He talks a lot. He continues to talk to like the youngsters, the Clayton Kellers who look up to him. Love the Ryan Dezingle, you know, they took out the iPad and he's showing them stuff. And, you know, it's sad that by the end of the season, he'll be wearing a different sweater, different jersey. Obviously, uh, you know, that will be one of the players that Arizona will be looking to move. Um, it's, it's almost a hundred percent, but it's just so great to see him do his thing. He's an Iron Man, you know, he has this incredible Iron Man streak. I don't have the number in front of him, but he always shows up and always plays hard. Uh, who knows, who knows where he'll end up. You wonder, you wonder where he will end up. You wonder where Mark andre Fleury will end up. Wouldn't it be something if they both end up back in Pittsburgh? I literally can't imagine. <laughs> Neither can I, but Penguins fans can dream, can't they? So anyway, that's great. We look forward. I look forward to seeing you, uh, LA, Colorado, and uh, and I'll be back on a plane uh, in a couple of days in Seattle. So this was fun. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. 